There's a lot of talk about love in the church. God is love. Love your neighbor as yourself. The greatest of these is love. Popular culture is awash in love as well. All week long, the Beatles song, I'm showing my age, was running through my head. All you need is love. I think most people would agree that love is essential to human life. That love is at the heart of the matter. But I think we may have forgotten what love means. We may have forgotten what love sounds like, looks like, and acts like. The word love is so common and carries such a range of meanings that it's in danger of meaning nothing at all. And I would like to redeem the word love for us today. I would like to talk about love not as an abstract principle, not as a warm sentimental feeling, but as a choice. A choice we make every day and sometimes hundreds of, day, hundreds of times a day to strengthen ourselves, to care for one another, to invest in the common good, to build something that will last. Jesus shows us what this kind of love looks like, and by his grace and Holy Spirit, we can manifest it in our lives. Indeed, Jesus says, you will do greater things than these. And we can manifest it in our families, our community, our church. This kind of love is a beacon of light for those who have lost their way. And yet sometimes it's hard to imagine love but because we see not love so often. And I know you know what I mean. In our lives, in our news stories, we are awash with things that are not love. Drivers staring at their phones as they drive 75 miles down the expressway. That is not love. Inmates serving time beyond their sentences because of indifference, incompetence, or neglect. Senseless acts of violence in our city that we see every day that ripple through generations of families. I don't mention these things to depress us, but to acknowledge that we are swimming in a sea of isolation, alienation, selfishness, greed, and fear. Peel back the veneer in our own communities, and there are some pretty dark forces at work. If we can't see it and name it, we can't change it. Jesus and the prophets remind us that this is not how we are wired. This is not why we were created. This is not as good as it gets. We were created for relationships marked by trust, joy, and mutual accountability. We're created to steward the earth and act as trustees for future generations. We're created to praise and worship God and structure our common life in a way that reveals love's purposes. We're created to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. We're created to lay down our lives for our friends. We're created to take up our cross and follow Jesus. We're created for love. Our lessons for today point to this higher purpose. In Romans, Paul has just done a lot of biblical and theological foundational work, and now he's turning to the church to give them specific uh, ideas about how to be church together. He gives practical advice for those who have decided to follow Jesus and break bread together. Yes, he points out that love is at the center of their common life, 
that every commandment is in furtherance of love's purposes. But then he goes into specifics. And those specifics are intended for that community at that time. But there may be something for our community and our time. Live honorably. Avoid revelry and drunkenness. Refrain from debauchery and licentiousness. Turn away from quarreling and jealousy. Paul isn't trying to be a buzzkill. Paul is talking about what will build up the community, what will strengthen faith, what will lead us to lives of prayer and purpose. He exposes the lesser goods that numb our awareness and blind us to the needs of others. He's not saying we can't have fun or enjoy a party. Jesus certainly did. Paul is reminding us to use the goods of creation to elevate life, not degrade it. The passage from Matthew is about love as well, and it's about how do you love in a time of conflict? What does the church teach us? You start by going to the one who has offended you and talk to them one-on-one -on -one directly. You give an opportunity for healing and reconciliation. If that's impossible, you bring another member of your community with you to help you get to reconciliation. There is even a way that if someone is stubborn or resistant or harming, you can separate them from the community. But the end is not separation. The end is love. And in Lent, we have that moment when we restore to the life of the church those who have been set apart. It's built into our fabric to labor for reconciliation. This is hard work. This is countercultural work. In a world that says that you are number one, that you have the right to whatever you want, that you deserve a pain-free existence, the Christian way offers a different path. The Bible tells us Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve. Jesus didn't come to save his life, but to give it on behalf of the gospel. Jesus didn't call the disciples to protect them from pain and death, but to give them his grace and mercy. We are the bodies of Christ. We are the hands and the feet of Jesus in the world. If we don't sound like Jesus, look like Jesus, and act like Jesus, why should anyone listen to us at all? In another place in Matthew, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Are we at St. Michael still salty in the best sense of the word? Do we still enhance the flavor of our community? I see steps every day that say yes. And I want to remind you of them because sometimes they're so invisible or they're so expected that we don't re realize how remarkable they are. Andrew Grosso and the worship and liturgy department and the altar guild and the ushers and the acolytes and the vergers doing funerals sometimes five times a week for church members and non-church members alike, extending peace at a time of death. Greg Pickens and the pastoral care department and the healing prayer group and the Stephen ministers who rally around those who are hurting and pray for them and give them shawls. Robin Hinkle and the mission and outreach committee that go out in tangible ways and feed and clothe and care. You are doing this. It is not just the staff. It is not just the priests. It is you who are living this out in the community and everyone I talk to knows St. Michael. And they know our tangible acts of love. Do not stop doing those.
In two weeks, we will be invited to be the church in a whole new way. We will be asked to invest in St. Michael's future in a way that hasn't happened for 75 years. We will be reminded of why this church was founded and what we can become for future generations. We will also be faced with change, disruption, and inconvenience. Getting where we need to go is going to try our last nerve. And now more than ever, we need love at the center so that what we build together will be blessed and sanctified by God. We take this big step, not only for ourselves, but for the community around us. At a time when all the eyes of the city will be upon us, we have an opportunity to look like and sound like and act like Jesus. We have an opportunity to bless instead of curse. We have an opportunity to trust when the world says fear. We have an opportunity to heal when the world says hurt. And we have an opportunity to say yes when the world says no. If we can do this, if we can walk the way of love, people will be drawn to our church, not because of slick marketing, not because of beautiful buildings, not because of powerful members, but because people will taste our saltiness and they will want that in their lives as well. We are made for love. That is our purpose, but we cannot do it in our own power. Matthew says today, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there among them. God loves the world through us, and I can't wait to see what St. Michael Church will do this year and in the years to follow. Amen.